Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer. I continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU, and since then I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So today, uh, I am joined again in the studio by Michael Stein. He is a beer author and historian uh, known well around the area. Uh, thank you, Mike, for coming back on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for having me. This uh, is number two, right? This is the second time. Okay. So we still have two more before mm-hmm. I top Bill Devon and, yeah, and Graham. Demolish. <laughs> Third time. Repeat. Yeah. Um, how was your holiday? You had a good. Did you have a good break? It was great. Yeah. Um, spent a lot of downtime. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't get to do as much research and writing as I had hoped, but was very productive in terms of fulfillment. Right. Reflecting on 2018, mm-hmm. uh, hopes and dreams, and what what hopefully 2019 will bring. Drink any good, exciting beer? Lots of good, exciting yeah. beer, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Most definitely. Um, my wife returned recently from a trip to England, so oh. tried a bunch of English ales. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't believe the British brewers anymore when they tell me they're three to five years behind the U.S. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I think that's like a, a weird, uh, you know, humble... Uh, thing where you know, okay, I don't want to be presumptive. That's no, right. I think I think they are on par, if not, if not slightly ahead of some some of the American producers. Oh yeah, it's like the Mel Brooks. She's an artist. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> artists are always hum- they're humble. They're uh, hardest on their own work, and mm-hmm. that certainly applies to brewers. And if you, for listeners who haven't listened to the interviews that came out of Shelton Festival that I did, there are a couple ones, I think it was with uh, Brew by Numbers, where they're like, oh, you know, and yeah, we're just kind of catching up to the scene. I was like, no, you're not <laughs> catching up to the scene. You've, you've been producing on par above the scene. So Exactly. That's very sweet. Uh, so we uh, find ourselves at the beginning of 2019 in a... Uh, government shutdown in Washington, D.C. It's day 17 Day 17, I think. Something like that. uh, We're in the third week, nonetheless. Um, You know, brewers are having... uh, It's impossible to put out new uh, beers right now. Um, And I know distribution is challenging. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of local bars are getting a lot of good business because there are some deals out there for people who are government employees. Bringing customers in. Yeah. Uh, so in the discussion around that, um, in building walls, uh, I want to talk about um, being inclusive and how inclusive the beer world is. Yeah. And over the years, you have seen a lot of different uh, minority groups 
uh, get represented in the in, was it last year the Brewers Association appointed a new diversity ambassador and yep. this comes from the diversity committee that is yep. chaired by mm-hmm. Julie Verratti out of uh, Denizens that's right um, promoting diversity within the craft beer world yep and to kind of kick us off in that spirit of mm. diversity and inclusivity uh, I want to talk about firsts in yes. the DC in the DC bureau. It's first of the year. This is the first episode first show of 2019. 2019. Right? Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about some firsts and who better than a beer historian. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about starting with the uh, first female brewer. And this is a this is a this is a hard topic. Yeah, this is a tough topic. So I wrote about this for the Brewers Guild back uh, a couple years ago. Actually, you know what? We're going to pause real quick. Sure. You've got beer in front of me. Yeah. We're going to open some beer first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, so I think maybe I think we, this one would be good to start. Yeah, we could start with uh, the Washington Brewing Company beer. This was actually a beer I talked about the last time I was on here. So mm-hmm. um, it's a Dampf beer or a steam beer. And we kind of have an understanding of what that means today. But I reached out to another German beer historian, um, and he gave me a little context about... Oh, that okay. beer is highly overcarbonated. So, Sorry. Oh. All right, so it's... Uh, yeah, I'm ruining your carpet right now. It's exploded all over the... Uh, sorry, Jack. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Wow, I shook that beer is, way too hard this when is I what, came. This is what happens sorry, sometimes. Um, live radio. Live radio, yeah. so sometimes beers are uh, very Dang. active, and most of Can't it ends up... Can't put that up, cap back on. That's okay. We will... Uh, is it... Should, we just keep going. All right, we're going to keep, keep going. rolling. Okay, well, <laughs> so so talk about the beer. Um, you know, this is something that you brewed at the Hill Center. Yeah, um, we, we brewed and you this guys beer do you guys do shows at the Hill Center? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I mean, we, sorry, classes. We do. We do do classes at the Hill Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, what this beer was was a beer uh, pre-industrial revolution. Okay. And so part of the reason it's the so entire studio smells delicious. Yeah, the entire studio smells like. Uh, Steam beer, but um, I think what we understand as steam beer today is not what it was. And mm-hmm. so, what I was going to do is give you a little bit of a quote from uh, Christopher McGregor, who is the uh, uh, owner of McGregor Translations. And he talks a little bit about steam beer to say um, usually they're darker than a pilsner and advertised as an old style of beer, but I'm not sure they have a common origin or are brewed according to a particular recipe or method. So for this beer, we used um, pale malt Mm -hmm. as well as wheat, raw wheat from the Port City Brewing Company. And um, that's part of the reason also it's like insanely effervescent um, and ridiculous. If you can see this glass, I've got three fingers of foam under maybe an ounce of beer. And it is holding steady. (laughs) (laughs) And so basically, because we are uncertain of what these are, um, he, Christopher McGregor talks about uh, the 19th century primary sources, Dampf beer or steam beer uh, was a brewery powered by steam. Uh, and he references a primary source where the author refers to beer brewed using steam as Dampf beer, so the German name for a steam beer. Uh, and basically, he was saying that people took issue with it um, because they were saying that, you know, beer that's brewed by steam is not true beer. It's not authentic. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of um, where we're at today, where there's a lot of questions about authenticity um, and historical accuracy is very difficult to pull down. And, of course, you know, 
um, pinning down historically accurate things is my that's my jam. That's yeah. what I try to do. So if I can't say that oh, this is the first steam beer ever brewed in D.C. history, I can say, well, this is the first written record I have found of it, mm-hmm. and to try to be um, uh, historically mindful of all the primary sources, which you have to do in a town like this where you have Teresa McCullough at the Smithsonian, um, <laughs> who is both our in-town beer historian but America's beer historian as well. Yeah. And, you know, I was saying before the show, that's something that I really appreciate about you in that um, you are very careful to make sure that you have the sources to back up your claims so much so many times especially in beer you see these articles written and they say all right so and so was the first this or so and so was the first that and there's no there's nothing to to really back it up there are no exact sources or the sources are a little uh, questionable and you know when you are under the rigors of academia um those kinds of things are unacceptable yeah uh so Thank you for starting us off on that note. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the breakdown. What's acceptable in academia is very much heavily researched, citing where your work comes from, whereas in popular culture, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I heard this from Grandpa. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like, you know. (laughs) I'm I'm quoting Wikipedia here. Right. Um, All right, so then... Basically, in your so let's let's get back to the first female brewer. Sure. And you've done uh, extensive research on this. Yeah. So yeah, let's dive in. Yeah. So um, DC's first female brewer is uh, cited as starting out in uh, 1858. Hmm. Uh, I think that's right. Let me get that right. Yeah. And so um, the the 1858 brewer was uh, Catherine Bauman or uh, Katarina, as she was actually listed. And we see this a lot in the 1850s and 1860s, basically somebody with a really German name that then gets anglicized. Mm -hmm. So in German, it's Katarina, K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-A, and in English, it's just Catherine. Um, And so in in 1867, uh, in the Boyd's Directory, which is a great primary resource, she's Mm -hmm. listed at... uh, 504 D Street Southeast. Okay. Um, and so today, that's a house between 5th and 6th Street Southeast, which is just a block from Hank's Oyster Bar on Capitol Hill. Okay. Right off Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, and, and so what's important about that is at that point in time, you had a huge, uh, huge influx of German immigrants, and they really started to shape the neighborhood around Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, this is uh, just leading up to and post-Civil War. So then you have, you know, um, the community begins to change and, and take shape. And I know from, from current residents at Capitol Hill, you know, that neighborhood's changed dramatically even over the last 30 years. Um, I heard somebody... Even over the last five years. Even the last five <laughs> years, yeah. I heard somebody on C-SPAN, a reporter who's been covering... Um, Congress for like the last 30 years and he was like when I got to town I could rent you know a thousand square foot spot on Capitol Hill for like 700 bucks a month and he was like I looked last night and it was like you know I think it was like 2,500 for a 500 square foot yeah. so something like that right so that sounds about right <laughs> yeah so that's that's what's going on in DC today but in some ways it's it's um it's not new, you know, the, the, the face of neighborhoods changing is, is a repeating of history in a lot of ways. So let's paint the picture a little bit of this woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's right after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. She's widowed. Yep. And all of a sudden she has to take over this brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, you later go to explain that she um, opened another one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's really quite remarkable, too, because at this point in time, I mean, if you think about where we are and with 
with women's rights, mm-hmm. um, women didn't possess the right to vote. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, Nancy Pelosi just got in trouble for saying about how, you know, 100 years ago, you know, we just got the vote 100 years ago. It's like, well, white women got the vote 100 years ago, right? She, yeah. she had to kind of walk it back. Um, and so I think that's important to think of, too. This is a woman who was an immigrant. Mm-hmm. So naturally, she's already knocked down a peg. We don't know if she was um, Protestant or Catholic, but if she was Catholic, that would have taken down, her down another yeah. rung of the sort of social ladder. Mm-hmm. And so it's really quite remarkable that she not only fights popular opinion, which is like, oh, you're a widow, you're a spinster, mm-hmm. you know, um, which even that word has different connotations throughout history. There's kind of like a reclaiming of that word today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, she then branched out and decided to, to run another one, which is really quite remarkable. Um, so she turns to her community. The majority of her customers are German immigrants. This is a massive influx of German immigrants during this point in time, and not just D.C. history, but yeah. national history. Um, and so that's really her story, just a smart-thinking, on-your-feet woman who then um, decided to build out and, and still had a family, so had mouths to feed, right, like a working mom which okay. I think is even more relevant to today when we think about, um, you know, who works the hardest or, or who has um, the most odds stacked against them. It's like, it's working moms, you know? Oh, my social history post-Savor is not very strong. Um, or, you know, most history, my repertoire is not very strong in general. Right. Um, I have other talents. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, were women allowed to have businesses like were they allowed to say like all right i want to open a business i'm going to do it yeah um so again this is kind of where uh federal and state laws conflict with one another Mm -hmm. and so where she experienced this freedom in dc which was not a major metropolitan area obviously baltimore is way more people brooklyn is way more people at this point in time um she was able to operate even if she wasn't within her legal standings comparatively to a city that was much more swayed by old money, by waspy ways, if you will, um, to be like, well, this is clearly ruffling tail feathers. We need to just, you know, send the inspector and just fine her to death. Mm -hmm. And that does happen throughout D.C. history to women who want to own brewers, particularly in in the 1860s, immediate post-Civil War boom, because there's a population influx in D.C., um, they get fined to death. Okay. You know, um, you... They, it turns out they have a keg from another brewery and then they're taxed for, um, they didn't pay like the property tax on that keg. Mm-hmm. Just like really absurdly um, yeah. sort of old ways of, of uh, like patriarchal thinking that are tiny infractions, but as a small business owner, they just didn't have the cash to then pay the fines. And so eventually they'd wind up in bankruptcy or debtor's prison, yeah. depending how, you know, you see a lot of debtor's prison in the colonial era. Like people just didn't have cash flow. So is there any record of what kind of beer she was brewing? Or is that too murky? Um, she was making, I think, Weiss beer and lager. I'm mm-hmm. looking now specifically for those. But in the late 1850s, early 60s, that was really it. Yeah. Um, but at this point in time, German beer didn't have the same standing that it has today. You know, um, you have like the, the Bayerisch Staatsbrewery for like Weinstefan or... Um, Hofbräuhaus, these these famous German breweries that are literally owned by the state. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point in time, German beer wasn't as highly regarded as it is today. And so it's like, oh, well, that's just, you know, 
there's like yeah i mean it's at the end of the day it was the the immigrant offering yeah and so it's very hard to pin down if they were brewing actually pale beer or dark beer this mm-hmm. is a question we go back and forth on a lot because um sometimes maltings are coming from philadelphia and pennsylvania gets coke uh coal clean coal to apply heat but keep the barley pale they have that technology. The first Coke coal mines opens in PA in 1817. So that's remarkable. And that's what makes Pilsner so remarkable. Pilsner was the Bavarian method, lager, cold storage, storing the beer for long periods of time, but they use British malting techniques, the pale malt. Oh, okay. And so we then in DC, in Baltimore, we have a hard time, what did the malt look like? Mm-hmm. And it's entirely possible that the Philadelphia malt was much paler than, let's say, the Baltimore malt. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Michael Stein, beer author and historian on Beer Me Radio, recording live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan on Full Service Radio. Welcome back to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recording live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I'm joined in studio by Michael Stein. He's a beer author and historian. And in the spirit of diversity and inclusiveness, we are talking about D.C.'s first, also in the spirit of it being the first of the year and the first episode of the season. Uh, so we were just talking about D.C.'s first female brewer, uh, post-Civil War era, uh, and I kind of want to get into uh, D.C.'s first female brewer post-Prohibition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, this is another one where I have to say, uh, let me cite what I know mm-hmm. and not say definitively that the only female owner or co-owner of a brewery in D.C. right now is the right proper brew pub in Shaw. If I were to say that definitively, it would lead to the lack of research that I've yet to follow up on. Okay. So I reached out to the Brewers Guild um, executive director. I reached out to some other women in leadership positions in D.C. And I think um, I can say relatively confidently 
that the only co-owner of a DC brewery is Leah Cheston mm-hmm. at, uh, at the Right Proper Brew Pub, but I can't be definitive in that. Um, we have 11 breweries in DC right now. When Red Bear Brewing opens, they'll be the 12th, and I have that confirmed from Julia Hertz and Bart Watson at the Brewers Association. But I think if the dark cloud is that we only have one female brewery owner in the district, the silver co-owner, co-owner, mm-hmm. co-owner I should say. Yeah, thank you. Um, the silver lining is that we have a lot of women in leadership positions in D.C. Yeah. So that the D.C. brewing scene then reflects the progressive nature and the forward thinking and the strive towards diversity and inclusion in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, because every single day in craft beer, sadly, although with the TTB shutdown and the government shutdown, maybe not every day, <laughs> there is cultural appropriation, there is misogyny and sexism taking place. Yeah. And if we don't talk about it, it's never going to get better. That's mm-hmm. my belief, at least. No, I'm with you on that. Yeah, and so I think then... You know, it's but it's a fine line between um, like cultural appropriations and paying homage, paying an honor to those who came before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I try to do with my work. Is like Leah Chesta may be the only one right mm-hmm. now out of the almost 12, 11, soon to be twelve breweries, but there were those historically who came before her who had a much harder time just simply making payroll. You know, yeah. just just making sure everybody gets yeah what what they deserve. So you mentioned uh, Red Bear, and this kind of dives us into our first uh, gay-owned, uh, 100% yeah, gay-owned right. uh, brewery in the D.C. area. Right. And so um, there was an article that came out just in, I think it was October, from mm-hmm. DCist, uh, just a simple primer, what to expect from Red Bear Brewing, D.C.'s only 100% gay-owned brewery. And I think I have to credit DCist because... They say DC's only 100% gay-owned brewery, and yes. that presumes that other ownership in past DC breweries have had you know, members of the LGBTQ community in ownership roles, um, which, is, which is great, but you have to caveat that, right? So credit where it's due to DCist, um, to their editors, uh, to the writer Sam Nelson of this article. And so certainly, you know... With, also credit to that picture. Right? Isn't this great? Credit to the Red Bear. You can't see it right now, but if you go to DC Easter on Red Bear, I think it's just redbearbrewing.com, or if you yeah. Google Red Bear Brewing, you'll get it. And they just look super happy, pumped to be opening. Um, the article says a February opening. Mm-hmm. I've watched enough brewery openings fly yes. by that I, you know, give them time. If they're not open February, it's not their fault. They want to be open. Yes. Um, Permitting, you know, uh, inspections, everything gets in the way. It all just trips you up time-wise. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting to note, you know, um, I think we have always, we are lucky to live in a city where the brewing scene has always supported the LGBTQ community. Certainly, Brow has brewed Pride Pills. I think this was the fourth iteration in mm-hmm. 2018. So since 2014, they've been doing it. Um, you know, but obviously, um, nothing is perfect, and there's still a lot of work to be done for diversity and inclusion, even within the LGBTQ community, right? Like this year's Pride Parade, there was uh, like protests going on, basically people with legitimate concerns about... Uh, I think the biggest... Don't quote me on this, but what I heard was like... Corporate money is flooding in. Uh, we have real concerns about the corporate policies that these big money companies are, are funding in. So let's right, and and I think even when there's fractures within a community, it's important to take a step back and note the progress that's being made. And so Red Bear Brewing is kind of, you know, emblematic of that 
of that acceptance of the progress that the DC brewing scene is making in terms of DNI. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, and I, I believe you also have the first uh, black-owned uh, Yeah, brewery. so this is another one where um, historic firsts are tricky. Mm -hmm. um, so I can say pretty confidently, well, let me back up and tell a story first. Okay. Um, no, we love a good story. <laughs> <laughs> let me be a storyteller. Um, so back in May, mm -hmm. I was covering Sankofa Beer Company for the city paper. Okay. Um, so full disclosure, I write for the city paper. I am not speaking as a writer for them right now. This is just okay. the, Mike Stein, president of Lost Lagers Beer Historian, talking. So I wanted to call them the first black-owned brewery in D.C. history. But then I thought a little bit more, and I was like, wait a second, Chocolate City Brewing Company made beer in this town from 2011 to 2014. How could I discount them and write them out of the story, literally write them out of the story? And I was like, well, shoot, I can't call Sankofa the first black-owned brewery in D.C. because that was Chocolate City. Mm -hmm. But even then, and again, this is my understanding, I never uh, reviewed like, you know, tax documents, but Chocolate City had a tri-ownership. I believe it was three people and one of the three owners, uh, one, three men, one black man, one, two, two white men. And so, you know, obviously you can't call your brewery Chocolate City without serious violations of cultural appropriation if you don't have some black ownership in the biz, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so Chocolate City did, but then they only made it three years from 2011 to 2014. Yeah. Um, and so, so then what I would call Sankofa Beer Company is the first 100% African-American owned brewery mm -hmm. in D.C. history, okay. um, which, is, which is important. And then the interesting thing is the founders, um, Amado Karski and Kofi Mero, were both uh, born in Africa. Mm -hmm. But they have, you know, uh, uh, they have, I don't know if they have dual citizenship, but you would see them and be like, oh, there's two D.C. dudes. If you saw, right, like they're very D.C., you know, um, they present themselves very much so as, as being from the District of Columbia. And, and so um, firsts, it's hard to really pin down the firsts. And all of this to say that we, we found some black brewers in that post-Civil War era, mm -hmm. right? We know. And then, of course, even going way back to colonial times, you know that... Um, Black men and women have been making beer, you know, for for longer than the country's been a country, right? So, so and, and tell our listeners a little bit about this this brewery here, because I I'm personally not sure. too familiar with it. Yeah, so Sankofa uh, released their first batch in June, mm -hmm. and they are a contract brewery. So their beer, at least the batch that I tasted, um, it's a pale ale. It's called Hypebiscus, and it's a pale ale brewed with hibiscus. So the play the hibiscus pale ale, right? You see yeah. Yeah, the play on name. Um, which, you know, from their time in West Africa, particularly in Ghana, there's a great, basically, hibiscus tea. Mm -hmm. And they kind of like, like, oh, we're going to take, we're going to borrow that. That's a great idea for a beverage and infuse it with pale ale, which, you know, let's be real. IPA is the number one selling craft segment in the U.S. today, right? So that's a pretty savvy thing to do. Um, but they both have been influenced greatly by their time abroad. So, um, Amado, who I know a little bit better than Kofi, uh, is a capoeirista. He travels to Brazil. He competes in international capoeira competitions. Oh, the Brazilian fighting dance. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yep. See, one of originated. your many talents, right? Right off the cuff. You're like, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. A, a founding element of hip-hop, right? So it's all about culture. And, I, 
And I think they have a unique story in that they chose a business model, let's say comparatively to Red Bear. Mm-hmm. Red Bear has spent all this time, money, and energy into opening a physical brick and mortar spot. That's slated to be near the REI is, and the La Colombe in Noma. Exactly. Okay. You walk outside from getting your coffee or mm-hmm. your uh, you know, camping gear. Tent you're and never gonna use. your tent you're never gonna <laughs> your glamping tent. Uh, and then yeah, and the Red Bear's right there on mm-hmm. the corner. Um, and Instead, these guys have not gone that road. Right. So okay. they chose to work with a pre-existing brewery in mm-hmm. getting their never-made-before beer out to the public. Okay. Which is really unique in black brewing culture because it's 2019 now. We're actually on um, the 40th anniversary of the first black beer brand ever, which was Black Pride Lager, mm-hmm. which was released in the city of Chicago, but brewed, I believe, in Wisconsin. Okay. So there's a weird, awesome, cool historical parallel where the first 100% black-owned beer brand in D.C. was actually brewed in Maryland. You know, it's kind of like history repeating itself in some ways. In some ways, it's completely unique Mm -hmm. to 2018, 2019, but in other ways, it's um, something that that the beer world, particularly the black brewing world, has seen before. I like that fun fact. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I am heartened to kind of see diversity grow. You know, there was a, a seminar that I was sitting in a long time ago, not a long time ago, it was two years ago. There was a seminar I was sitting in two years ago, and it was a massive, uh, you know, ballroom, hotel ballroom. And I remember turning around, and it was just a sea of white <laughs> beards, you know. Right. And right. you're seeing it change slowly but it is happening there is is. change it is yeah yeah and i think that's um and the what the brewers association has done you know kind of that push for diversity is is hopeful yes no matter what you know there there have been some you know criticisms of too little too late or whatever but it's it's something yeah the only um thing to counteract too little too late is like right here right now yeah we need diversity and inclusion right here right now here's what we're doing and for the ba mm-hmm. they started with the diversity committee mm-hmm. so i should the ba stands for the brewers association yep sorry the we're trade around group i know we're, we're getting we're nerding out <laughs> um so they represent over seven thousand breweries which are now open in the u.s um and then the diversity committee had a lot of local shine in that Kevin Blodger, who you've had on the show before, mm-hmm. who co-owns Union Craft Brewing up in Baltimore, as well as Julie Verratti, uh, Denizens, they also in Maryland, uh, they serve on the diversity committee. What then came, I think it was April 2018, just last year, is uh, Dr. Uh, Janelle Jackson Nicole. 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 J. Nicole. J. Nicole Jackson Beckham. Yes. Dr. Doc, PhD. Dr. J. Yeah. She legitimately is a doctor. Yeah. Um, at, at uh, I think it's Randolph University in, uh, in Virginia. And mm-hmm. so I've been talking with Dr. J a fair amount just because I just finished an article on Black History Month and how to honor black beer culture mm-hmm. um, year-round. But, you know, it's going to be a February feature. So um, I was talking to her a lot about, about what she likes to do. And she's traveled now all over the country. She's only been in the job for since April. Yeah. Um, traveling to all these Brewers Guild meetings, and she just did, like, you know, I'm going to butcher it, but, like, the, the trade professional attor- young attorneys, first-year attorneys network, whatever, whatever, right? Okay. And so she gets all these questions, like, how do I bring diversity into beer? And the best answer is, like, get the fuck out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, move It's happening. To, it's already happening. Why do you have to be this, you know, event promoter, social organizer? Like, get on... Get on the so, get on social media. Like you can see people doing it right now. 
offer up your brewing, your event space for free, and then boom, you have it, right? Like, it's not a hard thing to do, and you don't have to be like this, you know, savior coming in to promote DNI. Just do it. It's not hard. It, you know, people make it hard and out to be a difficult thing, but I think, you know, with the biggest hurdle to inclusion is just not recognizing like bias, our own bias that we have to really like open doors, you know? Open doors. Open doors. Open hearts. <laughs> Open um, walls. Speaking of opening, <laughs> I think I'm going to open this can of Are you sure you want to try that this? Okay? I'm All right, positive. we're going to give it a whirl. Um, so before we sign off, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the DC Homebrewers Club. You're, you're involved with that organization heavily. Yes. Um, and they have a meeting coming up that I think if anybody is a homebrewer or trying to get into homebrew or interested in at all, they should go. Yes, most definitely. So February 9th, the DC homebrewers are having a meeting from 1 to 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. at the DC Brow Brewing Company. You said from 1 to 5? I think it's from 1 to 5, okay. Saturday afternoon. Okay, okay, yep, okay. Yep, exactly. Yes, yeah, so it's midday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, if you plan to drink Uber or Lyft over, yes. there are uh, discounts to be had. Um, or, you know, take the Metro and hoof it uh, from Rhode Island Ave over to Brow. Um, but basically, it's a joint meeting where we have Virginia and Maryland clubs as well as the D.C. Homebrewers Club. Okay. Um, but you've had uh, the homebrewers on the show before. Yeah. And basically, they are one of the most inclusive homebrew clubs in the country, I would say. I would yeah. put that up pound for pound. We always want new faces. Mm-hmm. It's free 99 to join. The best <laughs> price there is. Um, and so I think that's one way to promote in- inclusion, at least across um, issues of, of, of class, is it's free. Yeah. Just show up. You know, you don't, you don't have to buy anything. You're just a part of homebrewing culture by showing a, a thirst for knowledge, if you will. Yeah, and something that I, that I love about the beer community is how welcoming it is. Very, very welcoming. Now, you successfully opened a can. Yes. Mazel. Um, <laughs> What what are we drinking here? We are drinking Ancho Oliver's Intercontinental Dry Cider. Okay. So it smells amazing. It does smell amazing. So we're drinking cider. I'm told by Greg Johnson, who is the cider maker of, at Ancho, that this is the first time, likely in American history, that British apples and American apples have been blended and canned. Okay. Um, so they're being they've been s- blended and bottled before. Now we're into cans. Right. Um, and this is going to be very hard to verify. But so that's okay. when, when I can't verify something, I like to say, this person told me, right? Uh-huh. And, give, yeah. and give them credit <laughs> push the for blame. it. the <laughs> um, You know, I, I pushed back a little bit on him and he was like, well, that would be really hard to prove. But it's my understanding that this is the first time it's ever been done. Okay. So there are gold rush and bittersweet apples in it. Mm-hmm. The sourcing, it comes from Hereford, that being in England, yep. as well as the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, there is a mixture of wild yeast uh, and other yeast in it, and it's the vessels are stainless and wood. So presumably some of the cider was aged in stainless steel and mm-hmm. some of the cider was aged in wood. Residual sugar, there's under 1%. So for me, as a diabetic, a type 1 diabetic, I love anything with under 1 gram per sugar per 12 ounces. Yes. That's like the best there. Even light beer has... You know, somewhere between uh, like five and fifteen calories, depending on Oof. on the brand. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, cheers. Cheers to diversity, to inclusivity, diversity, inclusivity, and uh, welcoming community. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. 
This has been Beer Me Radio on Full Service Radio, recording live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I am your host, Sarah Jane. Check us out anywhere you get your podcast, social media at Beer Me Radio. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, shoot them my way at beermeradio at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.